It's good to be here. I want to welcome everybody to the service today. Thank you for everybody that's here in the sanctuary for being here, for our visitors. I see we have some visitors this morning. Appreciate you coming and uh, want to welcome everybody to the service that's on Facebook, social media, YouTube, and downloading sermons from the internet and everybody downstairs in the fellowship hall. It's good to have everybody out this morning. Um, it's my prayer that the Lord be honored today and that each of you receive a special blessing from this message. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to fill in for Brother Thomas this morning. It's always an honor and pleasure to bring a message from God's holy word. So uh, let's begin our portion of the service this morning in prayer. Our dear loving Heavenly Father, as we humbly bow before you, O oh Father, we just thank you for this day of life and for the wonderful blessings that you bestowed upon us. And we just lift your holy name and praise and honor and glory and recognizing you as the creator and sustainer of all life. Dear Father, as we open your word today, may you bless your word and open our hearts to receive the message. Dear Lord, give me the words to speak and the people the ears to hear. In Jesus' name, for his sake we pray. Amen. Well, the last time that I spoke was back in March of this year, and uh, we looked at the creation account as given in God's holy word. And that message was entitled, In the Beginning, The Joy of God's Creation. Um, that message was well received, and I really appreciate all the wonderful feedback from our time together that I received. Um, there were so many wonderful passages of scripture that we looked at concerning the creation account that we really had barely time to cover the first day. Um, and just to do a brief summary before we get into today's message, um, we showed that according to the word of God that Creation was an act of intelligent design, an act of purpose and meaning. It was an act demonstrating God's majestic power, divine beauty, divine glory, and divine goodness. It was an act planned by God himself in eternity past and executed to divine perfection. It was a joyous event that brought forth all manner of amazing land and sea life forms, and beautiful and fragrant trees and plants and outstanding colors and lights. God's creation was a joyous and glorious event. But most of all, we focused in on what the scriptures declared was the role of Jesus Christ in the creation account. How the book of John says that all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. And how that the book of Colossians said that for by him were all things created that are in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And then we looked at the book of Revelations where it says, speaking of the Lamb, Christ himself, the glorified Christ, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. Clearly, these scriptures give us a solid view and firm foundation for understanding the meaning and purpose of life. We were made by him and for him and for his good pleasure. We also looked at the scriptures showing Jesus as the light of the world. How that the book of John states that in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And John also says in the book of Revelation, in the final estate of all things, there's a new heaven 
and a new earth. And as the new Jerusalem, the holy city, comes down out of heaven, John describes a great deal of information about that city. And in Revelation 21, 23, it says, quote, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And who is that Lamb? None other than the glorified Christ. And we also contrasted the glorious account of God's creation in all its divine glory and beauty to the current worldview, man's view, of the Big Bang Theory. Contrasting creationism as an act of wisdom, intelligent design, purpose, and meaning. Demonstrating God's majestic power, his divine beauty, divine glory, and divine goodness versus the dangerous teaching of the Big Bang Theory that promotes randomness and happenstance and how that in turn promotes a lack of purpose and meaning in life. And as we pump that stuff into the heads of our children's it leads to hopelessness and despair to those who are without God and know him not. And how we think that the suicide epidemic in this country, especially among our youth, can be correlated to the removal of prayer, the Ten Commandments, and God from the classroom. And how that we need and think that we need to put God back in the classroom, tell our kids about Jesus, and give them something to live for. The problem that we're facing in this country today, and I'm deviating from my notes now, I just have to have to say this. The problem that we have in country, this country today is not guns. It's a problem between good and evil. And you put guns in the hands of good people and they protect their families and they protect others. You put guns in the hands of evil and bad people and they do evil and bad things with them. It's a, it's a problem of good versus evil. And we've taken God out of the school. They call on his name after a school shooting, but they don't want him there the rest of the time. They don't want him there on day one, day two, and day three. They just push him on. It, it bothers me. I, I'm sorry. But the, the thing is, is that this is an active battle against good and evil. <clears throat> I gave you a list of teacher groups that actively oppose the teaching of creationism in the schools. It's not just that they don't want it taught, they actively oppose it being taught. And I gave you that list. The National Science Teachers Association is opposed to teaching creationism as a science as is the Association for Science Teacher Education, the National Association of Biology Teachers, the American Anthropological Association, the Association of American Geoscientists, Geological Society of America, and the American Geophysical Union. All of these groups actively oppose the teaching of creationism in the schools. <clears throat> but we know the truth that God's ways are much higher than man's ways, and that God's thoughts are much higher than man's thoughts, and that the wisdom of man is foolishness unto God, as declared in his holy word. I, I believe that's a fair summary of our last study together, but let's not look past the fact that the creation, as counted in the scripture, is a beautiful and wonderful subject. So in conjunction with that message, I've been asked to carry on with its theme and continue the message 
of in the beginning the joy of God's creation. So the scriptures are rich and exciting with information on the creation. And there's no way this morning that I can cover days two through six or even seven. So, but we'll begin our study by quoting days two and three as given in Genesis, the first chapter, with our focus will be on day two. So that after God says, let there be light, and there was light, and God divided the light from the darkness, and the light he called day, and the darkness he called night, we have the ending of the first day. So on the second day, God says, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together under one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind and the fruit tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good and the evening and the morning were the third day. So on day two, God creates the firmament. The firmament. Now, that seems to be like an odd word, does it not? Uh, I don't hear it in normal, everyday conversation, nor do I use it myself. I don't call people up and say, how's the firmament in your area today, or <laughs> that, that kind of thing. So, but it, it is a wonderful word, and it's a word that we need to take a closer look at. So here are a few definitions that might be helpful. The definition of the firmament can be essentially summarized as the arch or vault over the earth and sky that separates the earthly realm from what is beyond. Merriam-Webster simply defines the firmament as the vault or arch of the sky, heavens. According to Easton's Bible Dictionary, from the Vulgate firmamentum, which is used as the translation of the Hebrew word R-A-K-I apostrophe A, is pronounced rakia. The word means simply expansion. It denotes the space or expanse like an arch appearing immediately above us. And in everyday terms, it's our atmosphere. It was prepared by intelligent design to support life as we know it. It's the place where we exist and have our being. It is God's great life support system. It's a place where we breathe, where we move about, where we touch, we taste, think, and feel, where we see the beauty of God's design, where we hear the singing of the birds and the rustling of the trees, and where we smell the wonderful fragrances of life. 
But most importantly, it's the place where we can get to know the Creator Himself, the one who designed and made it all, the great God of the Bible, the one worthy of praise and worship. It's the place designed by His good pleasure so that you and I might come to know Him and sing His praises and worship His glory and righteousness and His grace and His mercy. And the one who created it all calls the firmament heaven. Isn't that a wonderful thought? God calling the firmament heaven. Let's take a closer look at that for a moment. The Bible describes to us three heavens. There's the firmament that we're talking about right now, our immediate atmosphere, heaven. There's the area outside our atmosphere in the universe created by God where the sun, moon, and stars have their existence. It's the vast expanse of solar systems and galaxies that we see at night when we look up in the sky. It's the place where we're guided by signs and seasons and days and years. Then there's the heaven referred to by Paul as the third heaven. It is the dwelling place of Almighty God, the place where the throne of God exists, the place where the resurrected Christ ascended unto and sat down at the right hand of the Father, the place where Jesus said he was going to prepare for his saints. And no matter what the world leaders think about their ability to rule and control the activities of earth today, it is HQ, it's headquarters for God to direct and carry out his eternal purpose and plan for you and for me and for everything that dwelleth upon the earth. Here are a couple of scripture references uh, related to heaven. So we have a heaven. It says, in, it says in the beginning God created the heaven, not the heavens. It says he created the heaven and the earth. So on the first day, he created the vast expanse of the universe, and then he created the earth. He hadn't created the firmament yet, which is, called the, which is the second heaven. So we have the outer expanse of the universe, heaven. Then we have the heaven of heavens, which is the firmament. And then we have the third heaven, the dwelling place of God. But in Second Chronicles in 2.6, Solomon is speaking and says this. But who is able to build him a house, seeing the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain him? Who am I then that I should build him a house, save only to burn sacrifice before him? And in Second Chronicles, right after the temple is finished, in Second in Chronicles 6 and 18, it says, But will God in very deed dwell with men on earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built. So the heaven and the heaven of heavens could not contain the greatness and glory of Almighty God. The wisest man who ever lived stated it twice. And it pleased God to be spoken of in these terms, to be recognized as larger than the universe. After Solomon's prayer, the glory of God filled that newly built temple. And that thick smoke was so intense with the presence of God that in 2 Chronicles 7, 2 through 3, it says, And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord 
upon the house. They bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And then as it's related to the third heaven, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 12 and verses 2 through 5, Paul, speaking of himself, says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. Now if any person had much to proudly boast about for himself and the wonderful experiences that God permitted him to see and hear, it would have been Paul. Paul describes us a third heaven known as paradise, where he encountered and heard things that so moved his being that he was not even permitted to utter that which he heard. It's the third heaven, the dwelling place of God. So we have three heavens according to the scriptures. So back to the Genesis account. God calls the firmament heaven. Let's, let's contemplate that for a moment. So we know that God doeth all things well, right? So at the end of the creation process, it says that God looked upon all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So in the beginning, God, according to his own almighty holy standard, could say, behold, it was very good. So how high is the standard of God? If we seriously consider this question, the magnitude and scale of that subject really becomes overwhelming. It places us on holy ground. And I dare not speak of a standard of a holy God in human terms. Let's just say it's lofty beyond our measure and beyond our vocabulary to describe. And God's standard for our eternal souls means the difference between heaven and hell. And that standard is perfection. And none of us measure up. Now, I like to build stuff, not create. God can only create. I just reassemble stuff <laughs> and make it into other stuff. Mostly wood projects, but I build all kinds of stuff from fairly small things to, to large projects. Everything from bookcases and TV stands and potting benches, a pool box, birdhouses and feeders and even a brick mailbox and a stone fire pit. Since I retired last year, uh, in addition to the birdhouses and feeders, I've, I've built several projects that include a cabin-styled 16-foot by 16-foot workshop, an outhouse, yes, an outhouse, <laughs> not out of need. You can ask Darlene about that one. A grilling station for our blackstone, a corner table, and an art frame for a hanging basket, um, all kinds of stuff. But I'm no carpenter. The stuff I build is pretty crude, mostly out of rough lumber and that kind of thing. But most of it I'm, I'm fairly pleased with, but even the stuff that I'm most pleased with could be built a lot better. My standard for a project doesn't even come close to the standard 
God held for himself during the creation of the heaven and the earth. Now, if I had to present my wood projects to God, the works of my hand, and they had to outshine the glorious light of his creation as a basis for me getting into heaven, do you think I would stand a chance? There's no way. The same with your life and with my life. If anybody is trying to measure up to God's lofty standard without the blood of Jesus Christ applied to their life, I truly pity that individual and the consequences they'll face when they meet God, the almighty creator and sustainer of all life. The gospel is clearly stated as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' perfect life and sacrifice on the cross is the only standard God will accept. But back to our story, the creation story. God met his own standard during creation, a level of perfection and glory beyond our ability to fathom. And if we had been there, we would have seen it in all its splendor and beauty and wonder. But something happened, right? between then and now that caused our current experience of God's creation to be marred. And that something is sin. When sin entered into the world, it caused a curse to be placed on the ground, thorns and thistles, right? And caused man to be removed from the Garden of Eden. So we do not live in the firmament as God created it. We live in a firmament that bears the markings and the curse of sin. And even though it's tarnished by the fruits of sin, is it still not glorious? Psalms 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. So, there are still many things that we can enjoy and grow to appreciate each day in God's creation, even under the curse. God has made a beautiful world, and by putting him first, and recognizing him as the eternal creator and sustainer of all things, we can properly view the world and the wonders of this life with praise on our lips and song in our hearts. God truly is good. So let's take a minute to look at the fact that God called the firmament heaven. As we said earlier, the firmament is the place where we exist and have our being. It is God's great life support system, a place where we breathe, where we move about, where we touch, taste, think, and feel, where we see the beauty of God's design, where we hear the singing of the birds and the rustling of the trees, and where we smell the wonderful fragrances of life, a place where we can get to know our wonderful Savior and Creator, sing His praises, and worship His name. You know, the the Bible really doesn't give us a great deal of information about what our existence will be like after this life. Paul couldn't even utter the things that he had seen. But there have been given to us some things that were revealed to us in the book of Revelation about what it will be like in the new heaven. So let's take a look at them and compare them to our current existence. And as far as the firmament itself is concerned, God calling in heaven... I believe we will see that there are a great deal of similarities. So turn with me to Revelation 21. We'll start with verses 2 and 3. And I, John, saw the holy city, 
New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And on down in verses 9 through 14, John says, and talk with me, saying, come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God in her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a wall great and high and had twelve gates. And at the gates twelve angels and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And on the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. On down to verses 20 through 23. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the city, street of the city, was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And then in chapter 22, it says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. <clears throat> and back to Revelation chapter 4, 10 through 11. It says, The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And over in Revelation 5, 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So the new firmament in heaven is a place where we will exist and have our being. It is God's great life support system in heaven. A place where we will move about, where we will touch, taste, think, and feel. Where we will see the beauty of God's design. Where we will hear singing and praise and see the sight of great trees. Where we will smell the wonderful fragrances of heavenly life. A place where we will go to know our wonderful Savior and Creator. 
and sing his praises and worship him. So we have John saying, I heard and I saw. He saw the heavenly light, the Lamb of God. He saw the city walls with the name of the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel. He saw the pure river of the water of life and the street of pure gold. He saw the tree of life and the 12 manners of fruit it bears. He saw and heard the great heavenly host singing and praising the one worthy of honor and praise. Do you not see that the glorious firmament of heaven above in many ways is like the wonderful and glorious firmament God created here on earth? And it was so, and God called the firmament heaven in the evening and the morning for the second day. Praise his holy name. Dear Father, as we humbly bow before you, I thank you, dear Lord, for your holy word and for your creation, oh dear Lord, the place where you have given us to have our being and to get to know you. Dear Lord, I pray that you've been honored and glorified in this message today. May you use it to your honor and pleasure. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Aaron, if you'll come lead us in the song.